Welcome to the City Baptist Church podcast, where our desire is to find meaning and mission in following Jesus. God designed us to thrive in the context of community, and we would love to have you join us for a weekend service soon in Vancouver. Today's message is from our current sermon series in the book of Joshua, God Before Us. In this study, we will learn some helpful truths from God fulfilling His promise to the children of Israel, and how through following Jesus, we too can experience a life of promise and blessing. Uh, Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Joshua chapter 6 today. Joshua chapter 6. We're back in our study of the book of Joshua, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. I think I told you when we started the series that I wasn't going to go verse by verse, but we're just kind of doing it. Sorry. We'll, uh, we'll skip a few chapters, I promise you, in a few weeks. We'll skip a few chapters. And, uh, and, uh, but right now, we're in chapter number six. And uh, I don't know if you remember or not, but where we last left off in chapter number five, and it's interesting that the chapter division between chapter 5 and chapter 6, if, if I was the one putting in chapter divisions, by the way, the chapter divisions are not inspired, just so you know. God was not like, and verse number 3, just so you know. Uh, those were put in later on for clarity and for ease of use and walking through. And so if I was the one that doing chapter divisions, I would not have put a chapter division where chapter 15 is, right, or sorry, chapter 5 is. I would have just, uh, just continued on. Actually, sorry, where they break it from 5 to 6, I would have just continued on as one big thought because that's really what's happening. It's one continuous uh, situation that's taking place. And where we last left Joshua, he was on his face before God. His shoes kicked off to the side, if you remember, and he's there laying before God. And in chapter number five, in verse uh, number 14, uh, at the very end, he's speaking to the captain of the Lord of the hosts. We understand this to be a theophany or a Christophany, a pre-incarnate appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's there on his face. His shoes are off uh, as that, that symbol of ownership is removed from his body. And he's there and he's laying in front of Jesus Christ himself. And he says to God, he says, uh, look at verse 14 at the very end. He said, what saith my Lord unto his servant? He's saying, God, what do you want me to do? Now, he had just experienced with his people crossing over the Jordan River. God had opened up a 32-kilometer wide opening for 2 million people to walk across. He had seen God do some incredible things, bringing them out of the desert and bringing them to this place. He had seen the miracle. They had created the memorial. And now here they were facing Jericho. And Joshua is saying, God, what do you want me to do? He had started out his night by surveying the city on his own. He was a military leader. Joshua knew what he was doing when it came to battles. And he had gone out that night and he was surveying Jericho. He was looking over the walls. He was uh, trying to make a a plan and come to uh, have a plan come together. And that's when God met him and he found himself in that place of total surrender to the Lord. By the way, if there's ever a proper position for us to be in as Christians, it's in the position of surrender to God. That removal of ownership, even from our own lives, and standing there before God and saying, God, whatever it is that you want me to do, Father, I will obey. Father, I will do whatever it is that you want uh, me to do. And so for Joshua, this time that he was at was a position and a moment of trust. Because remember, he knew what lay ahead of him. Jericho, that double-walled city, was just 
a few kilometers away. He would have been able to see it in the distance. It was a city that was built up on a hill. It was raised up. And this is, by the way, not a photo, a drone photo from those days. It's an it's a artist's representation of what it would be. This alone, the photo can give you an idea of scale. It was, not a, it was not a massive city. No cities were massive in those days. There was sort of an area that would have been walled and protected. And then the, the actual people more than likely would have lived out around it in the farms. And, and then uh, kind of like in med- medieval days. And when an attack would come, everyone would run into the into the center but what we know from archaeological uh, archaeological finds is that it was a double walled city it would have for that day uh, the other thing that we know is that around the outside wall they had dug out or it was on an edge that had a 18 foot drop off all the way around so not only were there 15 foot high walls but there was an 18 foot uh, sort of a climb up to get up to it and they filled the moat with snakes and alligators I'm joking <laughs> Either way, it was a very, I mean, you got to think, this is not in the day where they could just, you know, call in a drone strike. This was, to them, an impossible situation. And so Joshua had gone and he looked out at Jericho and he knew the challenge that was ahead. He knew that their soldiers were trained, but he also knew that they didn't have a lot of experience. This was their first time going up an opponent like this. Now he knew from his spies, they had told him that the people inside of Jericho were afraid But regardless of how afraid they were, they were still inside a fortified city. Uh, They had weapons. They had uh, people on the wall. And it was a city on high alert. And Joshua knew this was probably their greatest challenge. So in Joshua chapter 6 and verse number 1, it tells us a little bit about what was taking place. It tells us that Jericho was straightly shut up. Now that means it was locked down. It was on red alert. There was sirens and whoop, whoop. You know, I mean, they were, they were locked down. I won't ask how many of you have been in a prison lockdown before, but... Um, If you have, you probably understand what it's like. Maybe you've seen it in a movie. I know my brother, he's a prison guard. And so he's told me about what it's like when locked down. And basically what was taking place, you notice it, it was straightly shut up. Why? Because of the children of Israel. And none went out and none came in. So they were in total lockdown. Nobody's leaving Jericho and nobody's coming into Jericho. They were ready for the battle ahead. And for Israel and for Joshua... It was a challenge like they'd never faced before. It was the first victory that they needed as they took that step into the promised land. Now, I want to just connect the dots a minute as we remember where we're at in our passage. Now, remember, Joshua is a picture to us as Christians today. As we follow the story of Israel, we understand that the promised land is a picture to us of the fulfilled Christian life. And so as we see Joshua, who is our representation of Jesus, and as we follow our Jesus into the promised land, we understand that the idea here, what we see is the fulfilled Christian life. For Israel, God gave them a land. For you, through the Holy Spirit, God has given you a whole new life. That's the wonderful thing that we've got to remember. To Israel, this was a physical land for us. We've had that spiritual new life in Jesus Christ as we follow after him. But just like Israel had uh, obstacles to the path to the promise, as believers, we also have obstacles along the way, don't we? We have challenges that, uh, uh, that, that come along in life and, and they, they stand in our way of fully experiencing that life that God desires for us, a life of fullness of joy, a life of completeness, and a life of fulfillment. And each time that we as Christians today come to a city like this, an obstacle that's in our way, we're always faced with the decision of whether or not we will follow God's instructions to go through that, or whether or not we will try to come up with a solution on our own. Today, I want you to see the city of Jericho as a type of the situations that maybe some of you are facing right now. 
You know, as you walk through life, and maybe right now you're not in necessarily a difficult time, but as you walk through life, you will have challenges that will get in the way of your fulfilled life with Jesus Christ. It may be just a seemingly insurmountable situation that you're facing. And uh, I, I know I have those in my life, and I look at it, and I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get through this or go over it or go around it. I mean, it's there. I'm going to have to deal with it at some point. And, and I see this thing, and I'm like, what, what's going to happen? What is going to be the answer to this? Uh, for many of you, it may be that sin, as Scripture tells us, a sin that so easily besets us. It's something that we're so prone to, something that comes back over and over and over again, and we struggle with it, and we're, we're like, how am I ever going to get through this? How am I ever going to find victory over this sin uh, that is just so uh, historically has always defeated you? You've had many battles before, but historically you've lost those battles many times. For some, it may just be that uh, root of bitterness or unforgiveness that continues to rear its head. It may be a legitimate spiritual warfare that you're fighting right now, that you're, that you're walking through. It may be an individual who, like Jericho, has built their walls high, right? And they're not coming out and they're not letting you in. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And, and, and it's an individual that you're just like, there, there's always that, 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 uh, that person, that, uh, not that you need to remove them, but you know what I mean? It's, it's somebody that, that you know God's desire is not for those walls to be up. And so you pray for that person, and, and maybe it's you, by the way. It might be you today, I don't know. You've got those walls, there's double walls, and nobody's getting in, and you're not getting out. You know, that's not God's design, by the way. God's design, and you see it throughout Scripture, His desire is not that we be people just build up walls. God's a wall taker down, as we'll see, take her downer, as we'll see here in a minute. That's what God is all about. And so regardless, though, for you of what your Jericho is, and we could go around the room and you could all tell me, this is the Jericho right now. This is the thing that I'm facing in front of me. This is the challenge that I have. But I want to tell you that if, if you do not learn to have victory and walk through that Jericho, it will keep you from the promised life that God has for you. How many times have I lived months and years of my life without seeing the victory that God wants me to see because I'm just unwilling to approach it the way that God wants me to approach it. How many times that uh, have I missed out on joy, I've missed out on freedom, I've missed out on clarity because I was pursuing my own methods for overcoming Jericho rather than my own. Today what I want to share with you is that in Joshua chapter 6, what we are going to see is we're going to see the story of God's deliverance of Jericho and in that deliverance to the people of Israel, we are going to see a pattern to follow when you are confronted with the Jerichos that you face in your life. So today's message, I believe, is very, very important for us as Christians because you will learn today God's method for approaching challenges in your life. I, like I said, I don't know what it is, but I do know what mine are. And uh, I was challenged so much this week in studying and preparing this message, and I really do believe that God can use this in your life in a very powerful way if you'll put into practice right? That's always what it comes back to. Put into practice the, the, the principles that we see uh, right here in the Word of God. And so as we follow this pattern, we'll then experience the victory and joy in Christ that's available to His children. I think especially this is applicable when you find yourself in a position where you don't know what to do. You ever have that moment in your life? I just don't, I don't know what to do. <laughs> I do not know what to do. This is where today's message can really, uh, really uh, uh, get to you, I believe. So Joshua, he's laying there on the ground. He knows the challenge is ahead, but he also knows who's on his side. And so he asks Jesus, he says, what do you have for me to do? What do you want me to do? And that's a great place to start for us, asking the Lord. Lord, what would you like me to do? God, what would you have me to do? And so God gives him a plan. And we come to point number one this morning then in our outline. 
And I want you to notice how Jesus encourages him to begin from a position of victory. Here's the thing you got to get right in your head at the very beginning. That in Christ, you begin life. You face challenges at the very outset from a position of victory. Look at verse number two. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given unto, into thine hand Jericho, and the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor. Before God gives his plan, <clears throat> he gives him a positional reminder. A positional reminder. Before he lays out the details for taking over Jericho, he gives him a positional reminder. And the reminder is this. I want you to see <laughs> that I have already given Jericho to you. Before a sword was drawn, before a charge was made, God is saying to Joshua, the city is already yours. God uses the term see here. And what he's trying to do is he's telling him, and what it literally means in the original language is that it, it means to focus your attention on. And not only focus your attention on what is being said, but believe what is being said without a shred of doubt in your mind. So he says, Joshua, believe this. Get this in your head. Focus in on what I'm telling you. And what he is telling him is that God has already given them the victory. See, for us today, what we've got to remember is that as saved followers of Jesus Christ, we stand in a position of guaranteed victory because of what Jesus Christ has already done for us on the cross. He has already defeated every spiritual enemy that you will ever face in this life. Jesus defeated Satan not only in the wilderness, but he also defeated him in his earthly ministry. He defeated him while he's on the cross, and he defeated him as he rose from the dead, and he defeated him in his ascension all the way to heaven. All of those are defeated moments. And as Christians today, as we look at those unknown situations, we look at those unknown difficulties, uh, we look at those Jerichos in our life, you have to understand that you are not beginning from a position of defeat. You are starting at a position of victory already. Because as victorious Christians, church, you got to remember, we know God has a plan. We know the promises of his word. And as we believe the promises of his word, that belief will generate within us faith. Faith that can move mountains. Faith that can make a difference. Faith that can uh, uh, just change our entire life. If you think of the word of God, we think of Romans and how it says, if God be for us, who shall be against us, right? With men, it is impossible, Mark tells us. For with God, all things uh, are possible. In uh, Luke, it tells us the things which are impossible with men are possible with God. I loved how we were singing it. Nothing is in, I, I got the tune down. Nothing is impossible. And I'm just singing about this right now. I'm like, yes, perfect, perfect. I didn't even tell him what I was preaching. This is great. But it's true. But do you really believe it? See, before God ever gave Joshua a plan, he gave him this promise, and he's given you the same promise, and the promise is, I am in control. And whatever seems impossible to you right now is another day in the office for God. <laughs> Let me explain it this way. How many of you like watching television? Remember that? All right. Well, there's a, there's a channel that I like. I don't have cable anymore, but I used to like watching it when I did. Thankfully, we can find most things online. But uh, I, I like watching the History Channel sometimes. I kind of like that. And I like learning about things in the past. And, and one of the things that I always loved is watching World War II in HD. <laughs> How many of you watched that? Man, World War II in HD. It's so cool they got all these film and, and they're able to like rescan them and colorize them. I mean, it's just amazing. Did any of you see that World War I documentary uh, that the guy who did the Lord of the Rings took? He took all this World War I footage and he colorized it. It looks, it's incredible. You should watch it sometime. I watched it on a plane. Uh, anyway, um, that's just a side note. <laughs> um, 
but but we ever watched the History Channel? I love it. I love watching this stuff. You know, I had uh, my grandfather was a, um, a United States Marine and you know entire a lifetime military, and so uh, I just like watching this stuff and learning about it. But here's the one thing I want to tell you, and the History Channel does a great job, don't they? You know, like when those commercial breaks come, you're like, ooh. <laughs> <You know? laughs> but here's the thing I want to tell you. When I'm watching the World War II in HD, you want to know something about me? I don't have any anxiety about it. I'm not like, what's going to happen? Why? Because I already know what's going to happen. I know Hitler's not going to win. <laughs> I know that. I know that uh, the Allied forces are going to see a victory. I know that people will be liberated from those prison camps. And Jeanette and I had a chance to go to Germany a few years ago. And we went to a, a, a prison camp in Germany. And it's just terrible to see these things. But you know what? I know that while many did lose their lives, I know many were liberated and were spared from that. I know that ultimately there was a victory. And so as I watch the History Channel, I don't, I don't, I'm not sitting there like biting my nails because I know what's going to happen. Now, on the other side of it, have you ever watched the news? Live news? This is from a few years ago. You know, headline, two bomb explosions at the Boston Marathon. Many of you remember, maybe remember that. I remember during 9-11, I remember uh, during, I'm, going, I'm dating myself, I remember Columbine, remember the school shooting. And I was in Littleton, Colorado when that school shooting took place. And, and I remember the panic that was over. I sat, in my, I was at my grandparents. My grandma lived in Littleton and I was there visiting her. I was 16 years old. And when that shooting took place, uh, I was there and I watched the news for an entire week straight. That's all we did. Watch the news and, and the panic and everybody was unsure what was going on. But if you ever watch the news and have just a little bit of anxiety, how's this going to affect me? Uh, how's this going to affect my family? How's this going to affect my retirement? Uh, how's this going to affect uh, whatever it is that we, and we get nervous about it? But here, here's the thing, I'm, here's the, the illustration I want you to know. To God, all of civilization and your life is the history channel. You see what I'm saying? To God, when he looks at your life, he has no anxiety. <laughs> God's not biting his nails up there. He knows what is going to happen. And he also knows, and we need to know, that if we just trust God, then we will be able to walk through with joy, walk through with contentment, with fulfillment, no matter what comes our way, no matter what challenges we may have. Because Christ has already conquered the world, the flesh, and the devil is operating on borrowed time. That's right. yeah. But you still have to believe. You realize that. You still have to have faith. You still have to obey him because of his promises. To me, it's like the obeying a promise is like accepting a check. You ever have somebody give you a check? All right. That, that, that's, that's believing a promise. But living by that promise is going to the bank and cash it because I know there's money in that account. <laughs> Whatever, whoever gave it to you. I hope, I hope people give you checks sometimes. That's always a good experience. But too often we don't even move forward because we're concerned about whether or not God is even in control. And we've got to cash in on God's promises. And the way that we do that is by beginning from a position of victory, putting action to that promise. And if God said he's going to deliver you, are you living like he can fulfill that promise? If you believe God is going to provide, I'll just give you a couple of examples. If you believe God's going to provide, are you living an open and a generous life like he commands us to? Or are you living as if he can't deliver? <laughs> I know he promised to provide, but I'm going to make sure, <laughs> right? I'm going to make sure. Do you believe that God can heal you? Do you believe that God can teach you uh, to forgive? Do you believe that God is stronger than the sin that you're bound in? We have to recognize we are in a position of victory. David understood this when he said, In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Listen, church, don't live in defeat. 
God is on your side and you can face life with the knowledge that he already has a plan. And so God here gives to Joshua a reminder of the promise. And he tells him, you've already got it. We've already got the city. The victory is already there. And now he turns to his plan. And secondly, I want you to encourage you to follow God's plan by faith. So we start from a position of, 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 uh, of uh, victory, but then we need to follow his plan by faith. Verse number uh, three of chapter six says, and ye shall compass the city. That means go round the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once. Thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns. And the seventh day, notice all the number sevens there. It's interesting, number of completion in scripture. And the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. In verse 5 it says, And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast, that's the priest, when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up every man straight before him. Now I want you to take a second and look at these verses as if you're Joshua, a military leader, just for a moment. And listen to what God is instructing him to do. There's no talk here of an insurgent strategy. <laughs> There's no talk of, uh, of a Trojan horse. <laughs> There's no instructions for ladders that can be deployed quickly to climb up over the wall. There's no uh, new technology for him to create some bombs to lob over the side or up against the wall. All he talks about, God, all he talks about is a lot of walking. And priests... And trumpets, <laughs> wait a minute, <laughs> priests, they're actually supposed to stay out of battle. <laughs> and God is saying, I want priests and I want some trumpets and I want you guys to go for a little hike once in a while. So what is God saying? Well, he's or telling them to organize a group of soldiers. Now, the way that he lays it out is that there's a group of soldiers in the front. It would not have been the entire army just because of the size of the city. Most people believe it would have taken somewhere around an hour, maybe an hour and a half to walk around the outside of the city. So we're not talking, uh, you know, I know sometimes you think like, well, I think walk around Vancouver, how long would it take me? I mean, it take a, a long time. These are smaller cities. And so if it took them an hour, hour and a half to walk around, so there's a group of soldiers in the front, the uh, priests are in the middle, they've got the ark and they've got the, the, the ram's horns, and then there'd be a group of soldiers uh, in the back as well. And they were to go to Jericho and walk around the city one time in the day in complete silence, not a word. Zip it, God said. No talking at all. And then on the seventh day, they were to get up really early and they were to go around the city seven times in one day. So seven times walk all the way around. And then at the very end, the priests were to blow the trumpet and it says the people are to shout. I was wondering like what? Like shout, like what are they to shout? It doesn't really say what they're to shout. Uh, at all and then the walls will fall flat makes sense right <laughs> perfect got it lord right <laughs> makes total sense no it doesn't make sense <laughs> it, it makes no sense at all guess what though it doesn't have to does it doesn't have to uh, because this is how god operates first corinthians chapter 12 he says for you see your calling brethren how that not many wise men after the flesh not many mighty not many noble are called but god hath chosen the what say that word foolish things. God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and he has chosen, God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty and base things of the world, and things which are despised hath God chosen, yea, and things which are not, to bring to naught things that are, 
things that aren't even there to bring about things that uh, will later be, that no flesh, here's the key, that no flesh would glory in his presence. See, God always desires the glory, right? And so he often then just uses the foolish, the, the things that seem unwise to the rest of the world to confound and to do his will. See, for Joshua, it was trumpets and priests, but Gideon, it was torches, remember? And uh, with David, it was a sling. With Paul, it was a prison. God delights in using weaknesses. Man, we read about that in our scripture reading. God delights in using weaknesses and foolish things to defeat his enemies and glorify his name. Second Chronicles 16.9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. God sees all things. Why? To show himself strong on the behalf of them whose heart is perfect towards him. Herein thou hast done foolishly, therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. That's a great uh, little tagline there we won't get to. But the idea of God showing himself strong on, on our behalf. And on our behalf, we are weak, aren't we? We are weak at best. And, and the, the thing I want you to understand is that you may not see how God will help you to overcome your Jericho, but don't discount what he could do or how he could do it. So the big lesson that we see here is that if we do follow him, he will show you how you need to walk through that situation. But it probably isn't going to line up with the way that you think it should happen. And you need to be okay with that. That's where that idea of trusting in God comes in. I don't know how many times I've like, okay, this is the issue. This is the problem. Here is the solution. And then God says, no, this is the solution. And I say, wait, they're a great distance apart. (laughs) I need to be able to leave my solution, and I need to turn to God and his solution. And complete faith. That's why I said you need to follow him in faith. That's what we see here with the Israelites. Joshua got up and he told them what to do, and they're like, all right. Not a word of complaint. They had learned. Here's the thing. They had learned from their past not to be complainers. (laughs) They had learned from their past what happens when they discounted what God had told them to do. And I think sometimes as Christians, we forget so quickly how terrible things work out when we try things on our own. How many times have we made, man, I, I, could, I could give you a list of, of sure thing financial decisions I made. Oh, for sure. <laughs> I didn't consult God in it at all whatsoever. Bottom fell out of it. Remember Bitcoin? Okay, that's another, that's another thing. All right. Oh, it'll come back. It'll come back. <laughs> that's a joke. Uh, But how many times where, you know, God showed us, this is what I want you to do. And we say, that doesn't quite seem how I would do it. And so, Lord, I'm just going to continue on my own path. Listen, God's way is always different than our ways. Sometimes it lines up. Actually, that's a wonderful thing. There's been times in my life where I've had a plan or I've had a thought. And I believe it was from God. And then God just came along and just, and man, it just made that path straight, right? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And, uh, and, and that's a wonderful situation. But a lot of times God just does it differently than we would do it. And you need to be okay with that. You need to follow, them, uh, follow him by faith. When you reach that place in your life where you will follow God no matter what, it is then that you'll find yourself within reach of victory. Within reach of victory. And that's what we see here in the rest of the chapter. And we come to uh, number three. We need to watch God work and we need to give him the glory. You need to watch God work and give him the glory. Look at uh, verse uh, number six, and uh, I'm going to go ahead and read all the way down through verse number 15 in Joshua uh, chapter six here. So Joshua takes his instructions to the people, and he begins with the priests. 
He goes to them first because remember, them bringing the ark along was very, very important. It was a representation of God and it needed to be in its proper place right in the center of all those soldiers. And for us, you need to have God right in the center of your life. Have God right in the center of all decisions that you make. It's a great place to begin. Often when we're facing a decision, Jeanette and I, the first thing we say is let's pray about it. First thing, let's ask the Lord what he would have us to do and then build your plans around it. God gave you intelligence. God gave you skills. God gave you abilities to use. We understand that, but you got to start at that position of prayer, that God in the center of all things. In your family, God in the center of it. If you're married, God in the center of your marriage. If you want to be married, God in the center of your life now and allow God to bring that person to you. Let God always be the center. Verse number six it tells us here, and Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest. That does not mean he did not have a father. He did have a father. Uh, his name was Nun, and, uh, and nor was he a Catholic. All right, that's a, there's just so many jokes in here. Okay, and Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, called the priest, and uh, if he was the son of a nun, okay, anyway, that's, uh, all right. There's a whole lot of scandal there. All right, so, and Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priest and he said unto them take up the ark of the covenant and let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the lord and he said unto the people pass on encompass the city and let him that is armed pass on before the ark of the lord so there's the group that went before and it came to pass when joshua had spoken unto the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns passed on before the lord and blew with the trumpets and the ark of the covenant of the lord followed them and the armed men went before the priests that blew the trumpets. And the re-reward, that is the gathering uh, that came behind, came after the ark. The priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And Joshua had commanded the people saying, Ye shall not shout, nor make any noise with your voice. Neither shall any word proceed out of your mouth until the day that I bid you shout, then shall you shout. So he's telling them, just nothing. So the ark of the Lord compassed the city, going about it once. And they came into the camp and lodged in the camp. So they went around and they lodged. And Joshua rose early in the morning, and the priests took up the ark of the Lord, and seven priests bearing seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets, and the armed men went before them. But the re-reward came after the ark of the Lord, the priests going on and blowing with the trumpets. And the second day they compassed the city once and returned to the camp. So they did six days, exactly as God commanded them. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and compassed the city after the same manner seven times, only on that day, they compassed the city seven times. And so they did what God told them to do. The horns were blowing. They walked around. No one said a word. And then it finally came to that day where it was time for them for the seven times around. Look at verse number 16 through 19, though. Before the, before the big event, before the catalyst that God had told them, told them about, Joshua had a reminder for them. And it came to pass at the seventh time when the priest blew with the trumpets, Joshua said unto the people, Shout, for the Lord hath given you the city. Look at verse 17, though. And the city shall be accursed, even it, and all that are therein to the Lord. Only Rahab the harlot shall live. Remember that story? She and all that are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And ye in any wise keep yourselves from the accursed thing lest ye make yourselves accursed when ye take of the accursed thing and make the camp of Israel accursed, notice the word curse, and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and vessels of brass and iron are consecrated unto the Lord. They shall come unto the treasury of the Lord. So what's happening here? 
You know, normally after a victory, soldiers would share in the spoil of the victory. That was kind of part of it. If you're willing to go out and risk your life and fight in this battle, you would get some of the spoils of war. But not in Jericho, take note, this first battle of the promised land. Joshua is telling the people here, he says, this victory is not for you to get stuff. This victory is not for you to build your wealth. This victory is all about God. Now that's a great reminder for us. The victories we see in life are not for us to just get stuff. The victories in life are for, are for God to get the glory. And so they were told here to dedicate everything within that city to him. Now we see here, this is the first, this is the first battle. And what I see here in this passage is the, uh, the biblical principle of first fruits giving. The idea that as believers, we recognize who we get everything from, that it all comes from God. And what we can see here is the principle from the very beginning of the children of Israel of always giving to God our first as a representation and a recognition of his provision in our life. You know, church, I want to challenge you with this principle because here's what often what we do. We, we, we approach uh, the blessings of God and the things that God has given to us and we, and we sort it all out and we put it all away and we pay off every bill and then we're like, okay, what do I have left? Maybe I'll give God something. But what we see here in Israel is that this first city, which was not a poor city, it was full of things, gold and silver and bronze. And God says, no, that first is always dedicated to the Lord. I'd encourage you, church, for, for my wife and I, the first check that we write is our giving. Our tithe and offering and missions and future fund, that's the first thing we do. And then we figure it out after that. You say, well, how, how can, no, no, because I've learned that if I give God first, guess what? That 90% goes way farther. That 80% goes way farther. That 70% goes way farther. That 60% goes way farther. You want to learn how to trust God? I won't, I won't start on that. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that another day. But you understand what I'm saying. Give God the first. Give God the first fruits and watch him then do something with it. Because the interesting thing is that even in the very middle of God's clear work and even in the very middle of God's clear provision for us through our jobs and, and just the many blessings that God has given to us, just living here in this city and being here in Canada, we get so tempted to try to take the glory for ourselves. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? That's what it is as Christians. Like, man, God blesses us and when we try to figure out a way to mess it up, <laughs> in the sense we try to make it about us. Oh, great, I'm gonna, man, it's, it's such a challenge. This entire situation and your entire life should be dedicated to the glory of God and giving him the first fruits, recognizing where all that we have comes from and giving God that first fruits, that first blessing. And then we come to verse number 20 and verse number 21. He tells them, don't take anything. It is all dedicated to God. It is accursed, in fact, this city. Then verse number 20. So the people shouted when the priests blew with the trumpets, and it came to pass when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout. We still don't know what they said. Uh, Fall down wall. I don't know what they said. I'm sure they planned it out in the camp, you know, like, well, let's all just yell. Yeah. I don't know. They yelled. They shouted. Maybe they shouted hallelujah. Maybe they shouted Jehovah is God. I don't know. They shouted something. And it says there in verse 20, and the wall fell down flat. <laughs> So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him. These are the soldiers. And they took the city. Verse 21. And they utterly destroyed all that was in the city, both man and woman, young and old, and ox and sheep and ass with the edge of the sword. Sure enough, God's way was the right way. 
And the walls fell down just like he had said, which opened the way for Israel's army to come in and overrun the city and uh, destroy everything that God had commanded them. Now this does bring up some questions, especially verse number 21. And I want to address them real quickly. Where is the mercy of God in this story? Where is the second chance? Were not these people innocent? Did they not know about, or maybe they did not know about Jehovah God? See, this is a question we've got to ask ourselves, folks, because honestly, critics of faith, critics of the Bible especially, will accuse God that when he gave the promised land that we see recorded here, when he led the way for them, they judge God as if it's some sort of xenophobic ethnic cleansing. That they would come in and wipe out uh, an entire city. And, and that opinion fits very well in a society that's hostile towards God. We recognize that. They're like, oh, yeah, well, well. I've had that, you know, brought up to me. Well, you know, God's just, God's a xenophobic. He, you know, he's into ethnic cleansing. But, but the truth is that they're missing very wide the mark when it comes to the reality of the situation. I want to take a second to address that for a moment because th- these are uh, apologetic type things that come up in our lives. Two things I want you to note when it comes to the passage. First of all, the more that is uncovered even today about the Canaanite people, the more we understand why God would command their destruction. Extreme sexual immorality. Extreme sexual immorality of, of all kinds. To top it off, child sacrifice was one of their main things. And they were a people who were completely given over to their sin. And when it came to God and his preservation of the children of Israel, who were the vehicle of the Messiah for the entire world, God could not allow his people to enter into a situation where they could be contaminated uh, by these neighbors that were all around them. We must never forget that God put Israel and chose a people to be a channel of blessing for the entire world. The writing of Scripture and, of course, the coming of the Savior. If you read the Old Testament and if you look at especially with the story of Israel, you will see Satan over and over and over again do everything he can to pollute the Jewish nation and prevent, understand, Satan knows what, knew what was going on. He knew the Messiah was going to come through Israel. And Satan was doing everything that he could from when Jesus was born commanding the killing of all boys under the age of two. Remember all of these things that Satan was doing? And along the way, especially in uh, Canaan here, he he would influence Israel and try to influence them through these pagan cultures that were all around them. When Jewish men married pagan women, that happened, and they worshiped pagan gods, it became a threat to the purposes that God was trying to do with his people. God wanted a holy people so that his holy son could come to be the savior of the world. And so God here was protecting his people from even the opportunity of national sin. And he did that by bringing judgment upon, uh, upon the Canaanites specifically here in this story. Now, I want you to look at it from the New Testament picture. It helps us to understand it a little bit better. Think about your own life, right? The promised land is a picture of our life. Okay, so it's a picture of the, of the life with Christ. Think about how much of the New Testament deals with the removal of sin. How much of the New Testament talks about the mortifying of the flesh, the killing of the old flesh, the sinful nature, the removal, so you can experience the true life with Jesus Christ. 
Remember, we're, we're looking at pictures here. And just like God cannot use a dirty vessel, if your heart is full of sin and that's your pursuit and that's what you're going after, in the same way, God was preserving this chosen people for this time and for this moment. And he was preserving them by allowing this destruction and punishment of these pagan tribes that were completely... Now you say, well, what? they didn't even know about Jehovah God. Can I just remind you of what we've read just in the book of Joshua alone? How many times did it say that the people of Jericho were fearful because they heard what God had done at the Red Sea? 40 years before they had heard about what God had done. And then they would tremble because they heard what God had done at the Jordan River. In fact, they saw it with their own eyes, right? And I got to just tell you, if Rahab believed, others would have believed as well. Could have believed but their hearts were so against the one true God. I want you to understand that. As you, as, you, as you look at the Old Testament, and you even see God's law that was given to Israel in the book of Leviticus, he told them and gave them very specific things. If a city, if a nation would surrender to you, they were to spare them. But that's what you don't see. In fact, what you see is nations gathering together, we're going to kill the Jews. <laughs> gathering together, we're going to attack them. And so if they resisted and they did not follow after God, then... God would allow Israel to overrun those countries. Several times in the passage, we ask this, the question, why didn't they just turn to God? I promise you this, if Jericho had said, all right, <laughs> you know what, obviously your God is the one true God. <laughs> obviously he's the one in control. And we, we surrendered to him like Rahab did. Would have spared the city. Would have spared the city. They would have come to know God but they didn't turn to him. They resisted him. And again, it's a picture to us of the ultimate eternal death that will come to all who reject God to his face. So again, it's a picture of that. God is a holy, righteous God, and he cannot allow sin into heaven. He will give all men an opportunity to turn to him, but there's also a limit on that time frame. I know many people who just push and resist and resist. They know that they need to turn to Christ, but they resist and they resist. Listen, at some point, that mercy will run out. And you will have to stand before God and give an account for your rejection of him. It may be that even some of you today are still waiting to make that decision. Can I encourage you? Don't put it off. Don't put it off. God cannot tolerate an unholy, sinful person in heaven. But there is a way for you to get to heaven. And that way is through Jesus Christ, the perfect, holy, sinless one, as you turn to him. Well, let's continue now to verse number 22 through verse number 25. And that subject, I just brushed on it very briefly. There's a whole study on that that we could talk about. But for sake of time, let's continue on in verse number 22. But Joshua said unto the two men that had spied out the country, go into the harlot's house, that's Rahab, and bring out thence the woman and all that she hath as ye swear unto her. And the young men that were spies went in. How cool is that, that the same two guys who were the spies went back in and found her? And, uh, and brought out Rahab and her father and her mother and her brethren and all that she had. Remember, the promise was, whoever you can bring into the house will save them. And they brought uh, out all her kindred and left them without the camp of Israel. Verse 24, and they burned the city with fire. And all that was therein, only the silver and the gold and the vessels of brass and iron, uh, they put into the treasury of the house of the Lord. And Joshua saved Rahab the harlot alive and her father's household and all that she had. And she dwelleth in Israel even unto this day because she hid the messengers which Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. God saved and he protected Rahab because of her faith. I love that. 
Hebrews chapter 11 tells us that fact again. She's emphasized in Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, we call it. So the hall of fame, the hall of faith, and all of these stories of faith. And Rahab the harlot, the prostitute, is mentioned there. And it's because she led her family to trust in Jehovah God. And they were all saved as a result. Think about it for a moment. These Gentile Canaanite believers were rescued from fiery judgment because they trusted in the God of Israel. John told us that salvation was of the Jews. Salvation is of the Jews, and even though they were afar off, these Gentiles, as far as the covenant given to the nation, their faith brought them into the nation of Israel. There's a whole lot of really interesting things about people groups who desire to be a part of Israel and, and the whole process of how that was possible. And that's what I love. God was not like, these are my people, everybody else. Be. No, if they truly desired to grow and know, the, know uh, uh, the one true God, they could be a part. Just like everyone can be a part of the family of God. Jew, Gentile, whatever. If you turn to Christ, you can be a part of the family of God. But we see her being saved and brought into the nation of Israel. And here's what I love so much, because the story doesn't end right here. Eventually, she marries a guy named Salmon. Yes, like the fish. He married, I'm not sure if it's a king, coho, or pink, but he married Salmon. And get this, she became the ancestress, uh, 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 get that one right, <laughs> not the other kind, of King David, and ultimately of the Messiah. The great, 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 great grandmother of King David and then, of course, Jesus Christ the Messiah. What a picture of God's grace. What an amazing story that in the line of Jesus the Messiah is a Gentile prostitute. Right? And listen, when you see that, I want to encourage you with this today. Here's the thing, church. Your story is not over until God says it's over. Okay? So often we're like, I'm, I'm just, man, God can't use me. I've done all of these things. Your story is not over till God says it over. I'm sure that this Gentile prostitute was just so glad that she did not die. And yet God, through his mercy and through his awesome sovereignty, and I believe to teach us a lesson and to show us something in his word, put her into that line of King David and Jesus the Messiah so that we can look and say, listen, it doesn't matter what you have done. It doesn't matter what you have come from. There's grace and mercy and peace and a changed life in Jesus Christ. If you just turn to him, if you just give your life to him. Some of you have been saved and you're like, man, I lived such a terrible life before I was saved. So what? And I don't say that to be mean. I say it because I know this story. Does that make sense? I'm sorry. I, like, I, not I'm sorry, but I, I know where many of you came from. And, and we would not go around the room and say, hey, tell me what you did before you got saved. Uh, we'd all be shocked. And we'd be like, oh, man. And we have trouble trusting each other and all of these things. But you know what? Because that cross is level ground at the foot of the cross. We're all the same before him. And our past is forgiven, whether you were just a five-year-old kid who stole a cookie out of the cookie jar or you were, you know, spent eight years in prison <laughs> for whatever, <laughs> right? It's all the same. It's all the same. And you got to remember, church, that God can still use you. God, your story is not done until God says your story's over. And take faith in that. Take heart in that, that God can use you in a wonderful way. That is God's redemptive grace. God's redemptive grace. We come to verse uh, 26. And Joshua adjured them at that time. He spoke, he encouraged them saying, <laughs> encouraged them with a curse. Cursed be the man before the Lord that riseth up and buildeth the city Jericho. He shall lay the foundation thereof in his firstborn and in his youngest son shall he set up the gates of it. This is a prophecy that is fulfilled in 1 Kings chapter 16. Interesting. Someone did try to build it up and he sure enough laid the foundation 
his firstborn and his youngest son at the end of it. Verse 27, notice this. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his fame was noised throughout all the country. Even after he had burned the city, Joshua put a curse on the city. <laughs> and, and, and it's so interesting. If you look at the, uh, uh, the archaeological finds in that place, they have found that it appears the walls fell in and they found a fire, vast evidence of fire all throughout that area where they're excavating Jericho. But he put this curse, and the curse was is that any of the Jews or Rahab's descendants, that if they were tempted to rebuild what God had destroyed, there would be a curse put upon them. And like I said, it was fulfilled in King Ahab. But just as God had promised, God was with Joshua. And it says here that he magnified his name in the land because he obediently followed God's plan to face Jericho. And here's the point for us today. If we are going to see our Jerichos collapse <laughs> before the gospel of God's grace, it will be on the terms of the commander of the Lord's army and his life-giving power and not on your own. If we're going to see that, those things happen, it's only going to come as we follow God's direction. Every day we are in a battle, not against individuals or not against other religions, but we are in a spiritual battle. And the fact is this, is that if the enemy can get you to fight a spiritual battle with earthly means, nothing would please him more. And that's what we do. Satan is, is battling with us and there's a spiritual battle, but yet we see it strictly as a physical. And so we try to battle it in our own physical ways and figuring out how we can make this happen and figure out uh, what we are going to do. And Satan's more than happy for you to fight a spiritual battle with earthly, with earthly tools or earthly weapons. We've got to turn to God's desires. We have to turn back to what God wants us to do. And these Jericho principles that we learned today, I believe, still apply. What we need to do, church, is we just need to search out, we need to listen to, we need to accept, and we need to adopt God's divine strategy for victory in our lives. What is revealed to us in the scripture and what is revealed to us by the living word and through his Holy Spirit. We also have to remember that because Christ is our commander, our job is just to trust him. Just trust him. Believing his wonderful promises and obey him with detailed attention. Did you notice that in the Israelites? They, I mean, they were detailed and meticulous in their obedience of God. The same needs to happen with us. We don't always have to know why he's called us to a certain course of action, but we just need to trust what God's word says and what he's saying to us, and we just need to obey it. And then finally, we got to remember that the battle belongs to the Lord. <laughs> he knows the end from the beginning. He knows exactly how he'll bring us through, and nothing is outside of his sovereign control in your life. So whatever your Jericho is right now, would you just begin from a position of victory? Start there. That's a great place to start. Just sort of reset your mindset a little bit. Say, hey, I'm coming at this from a position of victory. And then whatever God teaches you and shows you by faith, just follow it. And then make sure that you give him the glory. Make sure you give him the first fruits. Make sure you make it about him and not just about you. And I promise you, whatever that Jericho is, God's going to bring those walls down flat. It may not be in your timing. It may not be exactly how you would do it. But I promise you what he has promised me in his word, which is he will walk through the fire with me. When I feel like I'm drowning, Isaiah tells us, he will be there to pull me out as we trust in him, as we face those Jerichos in our lives. We hope today's message was an encouragement in your relationship with Christ. To stay connected with us, you can like us on Facebook or give us a follow on Instagram at Baptist. Our prayer is that God will uniquely bless and grow you as you pursue His will in your life.